And I'm going to tell you, this one really gets next to my heart because I feel like it's something that is happening throughout the church world that's we've got to address as the people of God. And I'll share that with you in a moment. 1 Kings 18, 17 through 35 says, When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I've made no trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord. And have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. Along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said. How much longer will you waver? hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow Him. That's a message to the world today. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the holy prophet, of the Lord. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar but but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of the Lord your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of the Lord your your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning unto noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began to mock them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, but surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming, or he is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar. I want you to notice that. As he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down, he took 12 stones, one to represent each tribe of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. 
Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, Now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now the story goes on, and those of you who have read and studied it, you know how it goes on. He prays a 63-word prayer. The fire of God falls. A miracle happens, and they find out who the real God is. They find out that Jehovah God is ultimately in control. But I want us to go back to the part where he repaired the altar. He placed everything there. Then he told them to dig a trench. And then he said, I want you to put 12 jars or barrels of water. Now let me just say this to you. If you're asking God to answer by fire, why would you say pour water? If you're asking God to send fire down, why would you saturate a sacrifice? Let me tell you why. If you know the God that you serve, and you know that He'll come through no matter what, you know that He'll answer no matter what the opposition. You know that He'll do it no matter how impossible it seems. When you know that, it don't matter if they pour 50 barrels of water upon it. You know that God is going to send fire. Amen? But I want to go back to the water. And from that I draw this. He talks about the altar. It's wet with water. My thought today is this. Tearless altars tearless altars father i ask you now to speak through your word speak through your servant and speak to your people and let your will be accomplished in jesus name amen you may be seated this morning tearless altars i want you to think about that those two words for just a moment we are in a time in the church world today, and I believe this with all of my heart. Many churches have taken out their altars. They don't even provide a place to pray. But at the same time, in many cases where there are altars, people will come, spend about 30 seconds to a minute, Bounce up from their knees and go back to their seats. But what happened to the times in the church that we came around an altar, whether it's at the church house or whether it's in your home or in your study or in your prayer place, what happened to the times that we came before God and we got on our faces and we wept before the Lord? What happened to the time that we became so broken as we would seek God and call upon the name of the Lord until tears began to roll down our faces that represented the humility that we have allowed ourselves to come into 
where we can humble ourselves fully before God. Now that being said, let me go back. Worse than any drought that has ever touched the church is the drought that has stricken the church where we are right now. What is that drought, Pastor? No tears around the altar. No weeping in the presence of God. No crying out before the Lord. I want to take you back to the text for a moment. Notice what Elijah, Elijah calls for a meeting with Ahab because the sins of Ahab and the nation of Israel, because of all of what they had committed and all of what they had done, God at the prayer of Elijah had closed up the heavens and for three and a half years there was a drought. And it all came about because of their sin, because of their wickedness, because of how they had alienated themselves from God. And the prophet goes before the Lord and he prays and he intercedes and God shuts up the heavens and for three and a half years, no rain. And in that time of drought, they find themselves in desperation. Now let me give you something here. Drought means this. Drought means dryness, naturally. Drought means emptiness, it means famine, it means desolation, destruction, and even death. These are the kinds of things that happen in times of drought. And Ahab, the king of Israel, because of the drought that they were in, because of the desolation, because of all the things that they were facing that had come on because of their sin and come on because of the prayer of the prophet, Ahab, the king of Israel, calls Elijah the troublemaker of Israel. He calls him a troublemaker for this for this reason, I truly believe, because you called on God, you asked God, and God has closed up the heavens and there's been no rain and there's a drought. You're the troublemaker. Trouble means to stir up. Trouble means to disturb. It means to agitate, to afflict with pain or discomfort, if you will. Trouble means to cause mental agitation. Trouble means distress. When trouble comes, it can come in all different manners. It can come in all different forms, but it brings stress, agitation, and it stirs up and it disrupts people. It disrupts life. But when you read this and you understand this, this shows you how far Israel had fallen from God. It shows you how far they had drifted from the Lord, how far away they had gotten from his presence. But can I tell you, this king was supposed to lift the standard. This king was supposed to lead Israel into their divine destiny. This king was supposed to lead Israel into a relationship with God. But can I tell you, he was backslidden, which meant he was away from God. He wasn't walking in the presence of God. He was walking far from God. And let me say this to you, but he was so backslidden that the very presence of Elijah with his commitment and his love for God disturbed him. Elijah's love, Elijah's commitment, Elijah's dedication to God disturbed Ahab because he knew that's where he was supposed to be. That was who he should have been, but he was not. 
and he became disturbed. He became agitated. He became so distressed that he called Elijah the troublemaker of Israel. And I like what Elijah said. I'm not the troublemaker. You and your people, you're the troublemaker because you brought this on yourself. I want to be very careful when I say this. But sometimes we bring the things we go through in life on ourselves. I know that's not popular preaching, but I want you to listen closely to me. Sometimes in life we bring things upon ourselves. How and why? Because we alienate ourselves from God. Because we walk away from the Lord or we walk in a distance away from God. And let me just say this to you. When you walk away from God and you alienate yourself from God, you open yourself up to all kind of things from the enemy. You give the enemy an open door. You give the enemy an open invitation. When you walk away from them, let me tell you why. Because you're not under the protective hand of God. You're not under the protective presence of God. You're not under the protective mercy. Oh, God, I feel him. You're not under the protective grace of God because you walked away. That's why it is so imperative that we stay near God and we get, stay in the presence of God, stay close to the glory of God. Lord, stay near to where we need to be with him at all times in our life. Why? Because in his presence is protection. In his presence is mercy. In his presence is grace. In his presence is healing. In his presence is everything that we need. Amen. Now, let me take you back to this statement. He said, you're the troublemaker of Israel. Don't let everybody in this room know something. You might as well know up front that when you get serious about serving God, are you hearing me? When you get serious about serving God, when you consecrate yourself to the Lord, you're going to be viewed as a troublemaker. Oh, God, help me right here. When you really get serious with God and you, get, you consecrate yourself and you make up your mind that you're going to serve God with your whole heart, you'll be viewed as a troublemaker. Why? Because most people are satisfied to live around the altar. Are you listening? Most people are satisfied to live around the altar, not on the altar. Most people are satisfied to live in a distance from the presence of God, but not be near God. They're satisfied to be religious. They're satisfied to look the part. They're satisfied to sound the part. But when you get close to God and you live on the altar and you become a living sacrifice, let me tell you what happens. You upset the world system and you disturb religious people. When you get close to God and you get real with God and you make up your mind to serve the Lord, you disturb religious people. Let me tell you why. Because deep down inside of them, they know they need to be where you are, but they're not ready to dedicate themselves. They're not ready to give themselves. They're not ready to turn themselves over. They're not ready to surrender everything to the Lord. But let me just stop and tell you, that ought to tell you this. Stand tall and stand bold and stand mightily in the glory of God. Because let me just tell you, I've said it before, you can be religious and die and go to hell, but if you got a relationship with God, it'll keep you no matter where you are. Oh, hallelujah. I said it will keep you no matter where you are. Amen. 
Amen. Elijah called the nation of Israel back to the altar. He called them back to a place of necessity. Elijah is not known throughout Scripture as a great preacher. Let me say that again. He's not known as a great preacher. But when the Bible shines a spotlight on Elijah, we see him in the position of prayer. When the Bible shines a spotlight on him, we don't see him standing behind some great podium and being some great orator that's, that's expounding the word of God. We don't see him there. But when the spotlight shines upon him, we see him in a position of prayer. We see him as a man of prayer who is calling upon the name of the Lord. And I want you to hear me. He showed us what the altar looks like. He showed us what the altar is meant to be. And can I tell you, the great need of the hour that we're living in is for men, women, boys, and girls to rebuild the altar again and go back and visit it upon their knees and upon their faces before the presence of God. Let me tell you something. We got to get back to the altar. We got to get back to the position of prayer. We got to get back to the position of intercession and seeking the face of God. That's why we started back our prayer meetings on Wednesday night from 5.30 to 6.15. Why? Because we as a collective body of the church, we got to get a hold of the horns of the altar and we got to seek God and we got to pray through because let me tell you, we're only as strong as we are in prayer. I said we're only as strong as we are in prayer. If we don't pray, we won't be strong. If we don't pray, we'll be defeated. If we don't pray, we can't stand. The altar is the meeting place with God. Please hear this. I said the altar is the meeting place with God. It is where you climb, you climb Mount Moriah and you give your Isaacs up to God. The altar is the place of sacrifice. The altar is where you die out to self. Your flesh man dies and your spirit man comes to life. The altar is a place of consecration. It is a place where we wrestle with God for a changed life. If you want things to change in your life, sometimes you got to wrestle in prayer. I know that's not popular. I know that's not what we want to hear. We want everything at our fingertips. We want everything just right there. We want to just ask and say it, and there it is, bam, bam, bam. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes you got to wrestle in prayer. And the reason why I say that, it's not that you're wrestling so much with God, but you're wrestling through the presence. You're wrestling through principalities. You're wrestling through powers. You're wrestling through all the things that are hindering you from getting into the place of God or the presence of God. But can I tell you, sometimes when you find that place, you still have to wrestle because God wants to know if you mean business. God wants to know if you are for real. And I'm just going to ask you today, are you for real? I got about two or three low, amen. I said, are you for real? 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 I look into the camera and ask you, are you for real? We got to get back to that place of realness with God.
The altar is the place where Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, the supplanter, you remember that? It's the place where Jacob, all of these things, dies and Israel, the prince with power, is born. Back up there. Jacob in one place was a liar. Deceiver, subplanter. That's what it meant. But when he found the altar and found his place with God, he died out to that old man. And he became the prince with power named Israel, if you will. Listen, Elijah was building a picture of Israel back under God's divine government. Did you catch that? Building a bridge to bring them back to the place where they need to be with God. Living according to the word of the Lord. What did he do? He rebuilt the altar. You want to build a bridge? Build an altar. You want to build a bridge from where you are to where God is? Build an altar. He knew that, listen, if he could bring Israel back to the altar and the altar back to Israel, that he would bring Israel back to God. Now, I'm going to say this to you. It doesn't mean that you got to literally be kneeling in an altar every time you pray. You can pray anywhere. You can pray anywhere, in any position, in any way. You can be driving down the road. You can be sitting at your desk. You can be sitting at home. Wherever you are, you can pray anywhere you are. But there's times we need to visit the altar. Are you listening to me? You can pray anywhere you are, anytime, any place. But there's times we need to revisit the altar. I want you to know that the only hope for America today is to come back to the altar. I'm going to put some heat on us. The only hope for America today is for the church to come back to the altar. Two or three yes, amens. The only hope for America is for us to come back to the altar. Don't you listen to this. There is no president. There is no politician. There is no legislation that can turn this country around. The only thing that's going to help change America, the only hope for America is God, Jehovah. Oh, you better give him a hand right there. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care who's sitting in the Senate seats. I don't care what the legislations are or what they try to pass or what they try to prove or what they try to do. None of that makes any difference. The only hope for America is to get God back in his rightful place again. When we get God in his rightful place, everything will turn around. God back in the home. God back in the schools. God back in the White House. God back in the church. Whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. I got the first three, but that last one, I hung up on that one. Getting back in the church, you'd be surprised how many churches don't want God today. I done got on a limb. I'm going to get out there a little further. A lot of churches don't want Him today. All they want is blessing. All they want is goodness. All they want is mercy. But they don't really want God. I got news for you. If you want God and you want to take God, you got to take God in every shape, form, or fashion. Woo! I said, you got to take God in every shape, form, or fashion. However God presents himself, however God comes to you, you have to... Mm. 
Malachi chapter three, verse seven. Return unto me and I will return unto you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me and I'll return to you. That's simple. But let me tell you who he's talking to. His people. You can't return to somewhere you ain't never been. And if you ain't saved, you ain't there. If you ain't never been saved, you ain't never been there. So you can't return back to somewhere you had never been. So he said, return to me and I'll return to you. This is where we are in America right now. God is calling America back again. And I'm going to say this. I believe this with all my heart. The only thing that's going to turn this nation around is when the church really gets sincere and goes back to prayer again. Man don't have the answers. I said man don't have the answers. I said man don't have the answers. Only God has the answers. The greatest structure we can build in America today is the structure called an altar. Are you listening? I said the greatest structure we can build in America today is a structure called the altar. Why? It's been torn down by neglect. It's been torn down by decay. It's been torn down by rejection. Why? In favor of a more comfortable, less painful, humiliating way. In other words, we want an easier way to God. We want to ease your way into the presence of God. We want to ease way in. We, we don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to have to humble ourselves. We don't want to have to submit ourselves. We don't want to have to pray. We don't have to sweat. We don't have to do all But I got news for you. It has always been the same and it will always be. You can only get to God when you seek Him. Oh God, I hope you're listening to me today. But so often we have said... And I know there's many other things going on right now, but I'm not going to get into all that this morning, but I'm just going to use this because what we said for so many years. So often it has been said that the greatest sin of America is homosexuality. That's terrible. It's awful. And it's destroyed a lot of lives. And there's a lot of other things going around today, going on today, that's just as bad and if not some ways even worse. But I got news for you. Listen to me. The greatest sin of America today is pride. P-R-I-D-E. The greatest sin of America today is pride. What are you saying? It's not national pride that we need in America. Although I'm not taking anything away from that, I'm proud to be an American. I stand up and I'll defend her with anybody else. I'm proud God's let me live where I am and I'm going to say it again. I'm proud to be an American. But national pride is not what we need. It's national humility and total dependence upon God. That's what we need need that's where we've got to be now let me back up if you're an American you ought to be proud you ought to stand boldly and thank God for who and where and what you are and defend her with everything in you but that's not the pride that we need to hold it's the fact that we need to humble ourselves before God 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. 
Then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. I know there's some wicked, evil things happening in the world today. But he's not talking to the world there. We're living in some of the most wicked, evil times we have ever lived in. I would have never dreamed I'd ever seen this in my entire life. But we're here. But that wasn't who he was talking to. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to his people, my people, he said. Listen. Those who identify themselves with me, those who go by my name, he said, that's who I'm talking to. Now let's go back. If my people will humble themselves and pray, if my people will get a hold of the horns of the altar, if my people will seek my face, if my people will call upon me, if my people will come before me, then he went on to say, if my people will repent, don't just call on him, repent. If there's sin in your life, put it on the blood. If you're drifting from God, come home. If you've been flirting around with things you didn't need to be flirting around with, get away from it. Get back to God. But he said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, if my people will repent, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. He's very blunt. He's very straightforward. He said, turn from it, run from it. Then he said, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. But I want to just say this to you. If you don't repent, he's not going to forgive. If you don't repent, he's not going to heal. If we don't turn to him, if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't pray and we don't turn from our wicked ways, we're not going to see the hand of God move. Not the way God desires to move. Let me tell you this. We need revival in the United States of America. Amen. But Valley View Church, listen to me. I'm talking to us on an individual level, but I'm talking about the body around the world. We need revival in the church. I'm not talking about a little blessing here and there. I'm not talking about a little sporadic move of God here and there. I'm not talking about a little shout once in a while or a little glory once in a while. We need revival in the church that will literally get into us and change us and transform us from the inside out. But we have to realize revival does not come to deliver us from sin. Listen to me. Revival doesn't come to deliver us from sin, even though that's what we believe many times. Revival comes because we have repented. Amen? I said revival comes because we repented. Revival comes because we torn down the idols of our heart. Revival comes because we circumcised our hearts before God. Revival comes because we hated sin and we have loved righteousness. Revival comes because we rend our hearts to God. And I love this one. Revival comes because we break up the fallow ground and we seek God until he comes and rains righteousness down upon us and the glory of God begins to reign. That's revival. But listen, 
God doesn't want fragments of our life. Revival is not going to come if we're fragmented in Him. Are you listening to me? Revival is not going to come if we're fragmented in Him. Let me go back to the altar Elijah built. Listen to this. He said, I will dress the other bullock. He said, I'm going to present it as God required. But let me say this to you. Contrary to popular opinion, God will not accept any old offering or sacrifice. I don't know how it's going to come across, but I'm going to say it the way God said it. God don't want your junk. I believe God is sick and tired of us offering junk. You know, it's kind of like some of those people, you, you ask them to bring something, give something, to help somebody, they bring things they don't want. They bring the ripped clothes that they've already got ready to throw out the window. Uh-oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? They bring the dent and bent cans that they may, they're afraid something might be wrong with. Somebody say, preach on, preacher. Can I tell you we approach God that way? God don't want your junk. I said, God don't want your junk. Contrary to what many people believe, He don't want any old offering. He don't want any old sacrifice. God wants your best. And He deserves our best. In Romans 12 and 1, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. 1 Peter 5 and 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to to the humble. Psalm 51 17. And the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Now listen. Elijah called for an investment of the people. Hang with me. I'm almost done. Elijah called for an investment of the people. If you don't ever make an investment in anything, you don't care about it. If you don't make an investment in something, you don't care about it. I got to tell some bullets. Pursuit is the proof of desire. Amen? If you really want something, you'll spend a lot of time in pursuit of it. You know the importance of a thing by the time you're willing to give to it. You see that beautiful lady sitting there on the front? I pursued her. God brought her into my life. But I pursued her. What you love, you'll pursue. What you desire, you'll go after. What you really want, you'll give it your very, very best. How much time do you give really seeking God? We don't got out here in the deep. Let's get a little deeper. How much time do you spend on your face compared to the time you spend on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok? <laughs> Boy, it's quiet in here now. How much time do you spend on your face before God? 
as opposed to all these other things in your life that have taken up so much time and become so important. I'm going to say this very calmly, but I want you to hear me. There's nothing else in your life more important than your relationship with God. Nothing. 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 How much time have you spent seeking God? We live in a technological information age. God help me here. We're connected to everything and everybody except the one who matters most. Do you have God on your Facebook? Say, God ain't got one. How you know? You tried it? (laughs) I don't know. I don't have Facebook. God's got a Facebook. Face to face with him in this book. (laughs) Woo! I said face to face with him in this book. God help me. I'm not trying to pick on you Facebookers today, but what I'm trying to tell you is this. Don't you put anything before God. But I'm going to tell you this. If you have been doing that, I am picking on you today. You need to straighten up fly right. Amen. So many people feel like they would die if they lost their phone. How many times have I left my house and got about two minutes down the road looking for my phone, turn around, go back and get it? Because I think I can't make a 10-minute trip without it in, on my, in my pocket because I'm afraid somebody's going to call. You with me? But so many people think they can't go a day without their phone. They think that they just can't make it without their phone. But many of those self-same people go days and weeks without talking to God. I'm just trying to alert us to some things today. We can't do without these certain things, but how often do we talk to God? The point is this. If we really want to experience a move of God, it's going to cost us something. And Elijah pulled the people. It was water, and in the time of famine, 12 barrels of water in a drought is huge. It seems today that the church is in a spiritual drought and no tears around the altar. No weeping around the altar. People don't want to weep anymore. The women don't want to mess up their makeup. Men don't want to get undignified. Boy, it got quiet on that one. We don't want to weep anymore. Listen to me. We used to call the altar the mourner's bench for a reason. I remember when they called the altar, the mourner's bench. Why was that? Because we poured out our hearts and our tears before God because we were grieved over our sin and we knew that we needed God and we knew we couldn't make it without God and we wept before Him, we sought Him, we cried out to Him. But the reality is we don't see many tears around the altar anymore. Elijah told him to dig a trench around the altar. I want to tell you something. If we really want the power of God manifested, there's, we're going to have to pray around the altar again. We're going to have to seek God again. We're going to have to call on God again. 
It's not just going to happen because we want it to. It's not just going to happen because we desire it to. We can't wait for it to just fall in our lap. We've got to do something about it. We've got to seek the Lord. Amen. If we don't have any time to pray, then we should not think it's strange when we become powerless. If we don't have any time to pray, we shouldn't think it's strange when there is no supernatural fire of God falling in the house of God. We shouldn't think it's strange when the presence of God doesn't show up. If we don't pray, Please hear this. Prayer is hard. It's hard on the flesh. It's hard on our pride. It's hard on our carnal mind. God never said it would be easy. But notice what it said. He made a trench about the altar. Then as the water covered the altar and the sacrifice, it filled the trench. This was a speaking of a deep penetration of the Spirit of God. It was resembling not just a touch, but a transformation that would take place. And after Elijah had done all that he could on the earthly side of things, he called upon God and he began to pray. And I want you to hear this. Not just any God, but God Jehovah, the God that answers by fire. And heaven bent low and heard the voice of the prophet. And then all of a sudden the fire of God fell and it fell upon the altar. It consumed the sacrifice, the altar, the wood, and the water. It licked the dust up out of the trenches. God consumed it all. I want you to hear this. I'm going to tell you the supernatural fire of God always falls on the divine order of God. Did you hear that? The supernatural fire of God always falls on the divine order of God. If we desire supernatural fire of God in our life, we've got to get back to the altar. Now let's get real a minute. If we really want God to fall on us, we've got to get our lives in order. We've got to line up. He don't have to line up. We've got to line up. The fire of God falls on a praying church. You with me? When the people of God go to prayer, Things happen. When the church is Elijah bows her head and begins to pray, something will happen in the spirit. Let me tell you what happens. When the church goes to prayer, when the church starts seeking God, hell goes on high alert. Demons go to shaking. Chains start breaking. Yokes are destroyed. Captives are delivered and set free. And I love this one. Sons and daughters are birthed into the kingdom of God when the church goes to prayer. Amen. Everything that Satan has ever done to the church against the church has had one prime purpose. To get the church off their knees and to keep them off their knees. Everything the enemy has done, everything he's doing, is to get us off our knees and to keep us off our knees. Can I tell you why? Because he knows that the church on her knees is going to shake the very foundations of hell. He knows the church on her knees is going to win a lost world for the kingdom of God. He knows the church on her knees is going to make such an impact that it will transform our society around us as we know it. 
One of the greatest gifts that God can give to the church is a travailing spirit. I want you to stand to your feet all across this room. One of the greatest gifts God can give the church is a travailing spirit. A spirit that's not afraid to cry out to God. A spirit that's not afraid to linger in the presence or to find the presence. A spirit that will not hold back, that will not back up, but will stand firm and press in. A a travailing spirit will not take no for an answer. A travailing spirit will not listen to the lies of hell that try to hinder us from reaching our goal. Is there anybody in this house this morning who would be honest enough to say, I've been in a drought lately? Think about this for a minute. Is there anybody in this house who would be honest enough to say, I've been in a drought lately, Pastor? My eyes have been dry. Let's just be real. Pastor, I don't remember the last time I wept before God. Pastor, I don't remember the last time I travailed before God. I don't remember the last time I was broken in the Spirit. How many would be honest and say? Now let me get a little more personal with you. Is there anybody in this room who would admit Is there anybody in this room who would admit, I need a move of God? I'm looking around the house seeing heads going. Is there anybody in this house who would admit, I need to get back to the altar? Is there anybody who would admit, I need to repent, Pastor? Is there anybody who would admit, I need to get a sin out of my life. I need to rebuild the altar. Is there anybody who would admit that? And then lastly, is there anybody in this house that would admit, I need revival, Pastor? If anything I just said touched you in any way, get out of your seat right now and get in the front of this room as quickly as you can get here.